Hello and welcome to the second motorsport commentary behind the scenes. The April 2017 edition is now on sale, so we're going to look back through the magazine and let you into some of the production secrets. I'm Ed Foster and I'm joined by Deputy Editor Joe Dunn and Art Editor Damon Cogman. Welcome everyone. Hello. 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 You are, you are here. Good, <laughs> yes, good. Oh, good, good. Um, so, a, a big issue of the magazine this month, 196 pages, and it's the 2017 F1 season preview issue, which is packed full of travel tips, the new cars, driver lineups, and all the main talking points. But before we get to that, though, um, I wanted to just tell our listeners about an offer we've got, which is actually a pretty good one. We are offering all of you the opportunity to win a pair of tickets and other great prizes, including motorsport luggage, to the Hall of Fame awards dinner. To be in with a chance of winning, simply vote for who you think should be inducted into the Hall of Fame at the ceremony in June. The great names include Villeneuve, Mansell, Costin and Duckworth, Barry Sheen, and many, many more. Please go to www.motorsportmagazine.com forward slash vote. That's motorsportmagazine.com forward slash vote. Alternatively, if you want to secure your place at the glamorous awards ceremony taking place at the Royal Automobile Club on June the 7th, then you can purchase your tickets online at motorsportmagazine.com forward slash HOF. That's HOF for Hall of Fame. Or you can just simply call 0207 349 8484. You'll be rubbing shoulders with the stars whilst sipping champagne and watching this year's nominees being inducted into the Hall of Fame in front of their peers. It's one event this year which is not to be missed. Now, very importantly, the new issue, the, the April edition, is on sale now. And you can buy that straight from us on the Motorsport website. Um, and we've got a short link for you, which is bit.ly, so it's bit.ly, forward slash motor April 2017. That's Motor April 2017. And you, that will take you straight through to the shop and you can buy this issue, which um, obviously I'm very slightly biased, but I think it's absolutely worth it. You should take out a subscription, even better. Right, so the April 2017 edition. Uh, Damon, I'm going to come to you first um, because on the front of this, we have a very menacing looking Renault F1 car for 2017. However, um, it all looks very organised and beautiful, but it wasn't organised and beautiful in the run-up to this cover, was it? No, it's like, a, like an iceberg. It's, uh, it's all, you just see the little tip of it, but there's, uh, there's a whole load of other stuff going on un- underneath. We, um, we, set, we set the wheels in motion for getting hold of images uh, a little while before the testing started. We uh, started by emailing all the teams to say we had a, a wonderful uh, Formula One preview issue coming up and would they help us out by... Uh, forwarding over images and getting getting us everything that we needed to put together the best F1 preview we possibly could. And pretty much to a fault, they uh, they said, yes, of course, no problem. It was all going really well. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't really send anything through until the last moment. So um, we were kind of uh, a little bit under the cosh when it came to deciding which car we wanted and getting the right images. As it turned out, we would we we'd made a decision about wanting the Renault because they're um, one of the, obviously they're the, the the works team and we wanted them to be front and center. One of the one of the easiest things to do would would have been to choose the Mercedes or to choose the Ferrari, but as it was, we decided on the Renault mainly because it was bright yellow, um, but mainly because um, we wanted to do something different. We thought other 
magazines and other people have already seen enough of Mercedes and we wanted to maybe sort of really focus in on something different give 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 the readers something something different um Joe uh, excuse me for asking but surely it was obviously a very tight deadline but why can't you just change the deadline uh well there are <laughs> that's a very good question it's a question I've asked our publisher many times um uh, the actual deadlines are set uh, uh, to sort of marry into and mesh with um, uh, the printing process, uh, which affects when the magazine is then going to be on sale on the newsstands and when it's going to be mailed out to subscribers. So although there's a little bit of flexibility, uh, it may be a day or two, uh, in, in this particular case, we were looking at um, uh, 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 moving the deadline back a whole week, which, which just wasn't feasible, which is why, as Damon was saying, we kind of tried to get the ball rolling as soon as we could, um, and hoping to get images and things um, uh, sent to us, even if they were under embargo. In other words, uh, ask the car, the car manufacturers and the teams to send us the images on the promise that we wouldn't be publishing anything before they officially unveiled their uh, their new 2017 car, which obviously they wouldn't want to do. Um, and we, we thought that was a fairly reasonable ask. But as it happens, um, a lot of the teams turned around and said, um, "Yes, you know, you can have you can have the images, but we can't send them to you ahead of time because we're still bolting the cars together." <laughs> Uh, right up until the last minute. So it wasn't just us that were under the cosh. It was obviously the teams as well who were putting the finishing touches to their vehicles before the big unveil. And that was literally the first time the cars had been uh, sort of seen properly screwed together um, uh, and in the bright livery and everything else. So, so there wasn't much much room for manoeuvre. I think, as, uh, as I remember, the deadline for our cover was for it to go at 5pm in the afternoon. And we received the images from the launch the Renault launch at I think was it three o'clock that's right I yes. think yes, we, so we had <laughs> it took uh, you two hours to <laughs> yeah, do that I know so it, it was a little bit tight should we say yeah the the usual the usual thing about putting pictures on the wall and indulging in oh shall it be this one shall it be this one no it was we're having this one there's no <laughs> yes. debate this is the one going on the cover and the interesting thing I mean it got to the stage uh, where we actually thought that we could um, create a whole story around the race to get the car uh, ready in time, um, particularly with Renault. We were talking with Renault, who are actually very helpful, uh, and we were talking about having a having a journalist sort of follow the process of you know, screwing the car together, ready for the big launch date, uh, which, which would have been quite good fun. But uh, as you can imagine, things were so chaotic, um, it seemed, in the teams, uh, that, that that simply wasn't possible. But one for next year, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, before we go anywhere, uh, Damon, I, on my shelving at home, um, much to my wife's delight, I have a whole series of motorsport magazines from <laughs> 1950 to present. And there is a tiny, tiny little section that's red. Um, yet this is, it's called the Red Era, even even has its own name. Um, I think there should be a cartoon boo it, it at is, this point. Yeah. It is incredible um, how such a, a short stint in time um, can have such a lasting <laughs> effect on uh, people sort of talking about the magazine. Um, we still get emails today uh, saying, please don't ever go red again. Um, can, I, the, can I just go on record and say it wasn't me? Who's not here at the moment? Yeah, was, yeah. Um, so the Motorsport logo is... Um, it's an immovable object, isn't it? It, it, does, it does appear to me now, doesn't it? <laughs> Especially after that little, uh, that little period. Um, the, uh, the, the Motorsport Green and the logo that's, that it sits on is uh, embedded, ingrained in our, in our sort of 
magazine and in our sport you know the british racing green is is british motors racing there's no there's no there's no getting around it there was a period where as you mentioned uh the previous publisher for um, for, for right reasons at the time uh decided that they wanted to try something different um as it turned out the backlash and the uh reaction uh proved that it wasn't the best choice <laughs> but uh, I, think, I think the issues actually sold very well the issues did very well yeah, yeah. i mean they they were they were strong issues and actually the and to be honest, this the, the the stuff in it was no different. You know, if you go back and take the covers off, they're the same motorsport through and through. But um, but yes, I think the readers spoke, and they spoke that they wanted the green. Yeah. Um, he uh, yeah, we we decided that that was uh, it was going to be green, and it would never stop being green. So when whenever we do a little refresh, redesign, a little whenever whenever we choose to sort of um, change it again, don't 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 worry, it'll still be green. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, be. it's very rare for a magazine to have. Um, I, I was I was going to say has its hands tied behind its back, but I think that's perhaps a bit unfair. Um, to have such uh, a recognisable masthead, that, yeah. that as a designer, must be quite as frustrating. Yeah, I've always said it's a blessing and a curse because uh, the blessing is that if you're scanning through over the over the newsstands um, and you see motorsport, the big green block, you know that it's there. You you, you recognise it. There's a, there's an, an an element of seeing seeing that and, and being familiar with it and you're comfortable with it. The downside is, of course, it's a big green block at the top of the magazine and you can't sort of uh, do anything uh, to it. So creatively, it can be a little bit troublesome, but uh, no, we just have to find ways around it and that's that's what we do. So it's it's uh, it's fantastic and a pain all at the same time. <laughs> no, nothing in comparison to doing a cover in two hours. No, so there we go. <laughs> no, no reason to complain anymore. You've proven you can do it, so now we know. Oh, no. um, Joe, I'm going to fast forward to sort of pages, I think, 17 and 18. We've got a piece on World Rallycross. Um, it's really kind of jumped into the public consciousness, um, Rallycross, hasn't it? And it's it, not to the detriment of World's uh, Rally Championship, but it certainly seems to be have more momentum at the moment. It's it's having a moment, I think, Rallycross. I think I think it's hard to hard to deny. I mean, um, you've obviously got some big manufacturers getting involved now, uh, and you've got some um, well-known drivers. I mean, uh, obviously, um, uh, Petter Solberg's been involved for a while. Uh, Sebastian Loeb is involved with it now. Um, uh, there's there's a momentum to the sport, which I think has really kind of captured uh, the public's imagination, and also captured, uh, uh, as I say, some of the big some of the big name manufacturers as well. So we're looking to do a bit more on it. It's an exciting sport. It's um, it's sort of uh, and it, it lends itself as well to the kind of it, it's it, they're short races. It's a short course. Um, uh, it's fun. It's exciting. It's full of adrenaline. Uh, and it sort of lends itself to the kind of modern uh, way of, sort of consuming sport as well. So I think it's going to, I think it's probably going to grow more. So I'm looking forward to, to doing, you know, more about the sport in the magazine. Mm. But Damon, you've been to quite a few Rod Rally Cross yeah, uh, events. But you, well, I suppose one of the great things is you can see the whole, you know, most of the track, or if not all of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like going to Spa and very seeing yeah. all the cars disappear through a rouge and then silence for. A minute, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, we we um we we kind of get so used to a, a way of uh, watching circuit racing where you where you uh, you in, you enjoy watching them go through, go past, uh, seeing the field go through, and then waiting the one, two, three minutes depending on where you are, and seeing them again. And but with rallycross, it's a it's a six seven minute race, and you get uh, you you can pretty much every every event all over the all over the globe now. You can see. 90% of the circuits um, when it comes to Lydon Hill if you stand in the right place you can see the whole circuit you can see every every moment of it so you get to see the whole race from start to finish at every every point 
and that's very much like watching it on TV. So we're kind of used to watching watching sporting events like that. But um, yeah, watching it in real life is is an amazing experience. It's a really visceral thing. They're they're loud. They're noisy. There, you get filthy. You 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 get you you stand at a corner. You get covered in dirt. It's uh it's a wonderful thing. But um yeah, it's not for everyone. It's uh it's not one for the purists. But uh it's great fun. It's and and ultimately is kind of what it's all about. Isn't it? And they're noisy. properly they're properly fun. With six hundred yeah. brake horsepower, these cars. I mean, it's, it's incredible seeing them in quick. action. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you mentioned Lyndon Hill, which is one of my favourite circuits, actually. And, mm. uh, it's a lovely sort of small kind of uh, circuit. But they're moving to Silverstone, obviously, next from next year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's good for Silverstone, I think, uh, and hopefully it'll be good for Rallycross. We'll see how it works, uh, how it pans out. So uh, moving ahead to, to Mark Hughes's column, pages 25 to 32, uh, he's obviously writing about you know, Formula 1, 2017, and Pirelli as well. What, what, do, what do you both think about the 2017 cars? I mean, let's just look from a sort of obviously from a aesthetic point of view do, do they are they doing what they should be doing for you uh, i was hoping that the changes would be a little bit more dramatic i mean i think that there's been quite a it's, it's always hard to tell in the lead up to these sort of unveils and obviously there was a raft of new regulations which i'm, I'm sure we'll talk about later but uh, just in terms of looking at the cars i was hoping that the interp- some of the interpretations of those new regulations might be a bit more a bit more dramatic but it's, it's very much evolution rather than revolution i think with the look of the cars yeah aesthetically they're not hugely dissimilar to, to what's gone before there are a few little tricks here and there i mean the biggest thing is obviously the width and the size of the wings but by and large, they're, they're, they're pretty much as they were before. So, yeah, disappointed that they're not more dramatic. But obviously, when you get to see them on the circuit, we'll, you know, come, come Australia, first race, I'm sure we'll all be, that, all that will go out the window and we'll be, we'll be jumping up and down in front of the telly with everybody else. So, we can't wait for it to start, really. Yeah. Well, I was lucky enough to go to the Barcelona test last Tuesday. And the cars do look dramatic. Um, I think they look faster. It's quite hard to tell. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not going to claim to be able to see a two-second difference in lap time um, between two different cars. But uh, the, you know they do look good on track. The, the only worrying part was that, obviously, Mark's written a piece about Pirelli in the magazine, but he, he wrote a sort of follow-up piece online. And he was saying that what Pirelli were tasked with was making tyres that if you backed off for a lap, then, then the grip would come back and then you could start pushing again. Mm. Um, but what Pirelli has actually done is they've made tyres that don't degrade at all. So we're staring down the barrel of a lot of one-stop races and because the cars have a lot more downforce to try and get these lap times down by five seconds, the cars are also going to be very difficult to overtake yeah. because you know, the more, <laughs> more downforce does not necessarily make great uh, racing. So um, not great news for all the fans hoping for many o- overtaking manoeuvres and exciting racing. Um, we, we may not be looking at that. But in, in a way, I would prefer tyres that didn't degrade as badly as last year and the years that, that came before. I think what you don't want is you don't want artificial, you don't want artifice to you. You want, you want to see pure racing and that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're all here for. We all want mm. to see the cars on the, driven on the limit for longer not being driven at 60% or 80% or in power saving mode and in tire saving mode you want to see them being driven flat out and if the tires allow that then great if they and if they don't do as many stops it's not so much of a problem as long as the cars are being driven quickly and on the limit and by people that you know, kind of, and you can see what they're doing. It's that's what we all want to see. Yeah. I think Mark has, um, over the years, Mark has made it his business to know uh, and analyse in, in 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 a way that I don't think any other writer really does uh, the importance of the tyre to 
to racing and 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 i think the piece that he'd written in this month's magazine is is kind of a follow-on from that and he's really just looked at you know how important what the impact will be how important tires are going to be uh, obviously the cars have got more downforce than they ever have been uh, uh, before uh, they're heavier than they've ever been before so the pressures and the stresses and strains on the tires are going to be more significant and they're going to have a much more significant kind of impact on on how the race develops uh, so mark's done a very really nice piece and a very informed piece uh, looking at looking at what the what the possible uh, outcomes of that are going to be yeah so uh, one of the sort of main protagonists this year i guess is going to be ross braun um and if we look forward to Richard Williams's column on page 40, then he has sort of in a way written a letter to Ross Braun, giving him sort of tongue-in-cheek advice on how actually he can sort this sport. Um, and the route he's sort of t- taken is to ban radios, which I think is, you know, it's been mentioned before, but it's a lovely piece just stripping it right back to what people want to see, and that's they want to see sort of gladiatorial drivers coping with what's thrown in front of them, not some engineer on the, on the line telling them, um, you know, which gear they should be in, you know, the, which, where, which corner they're losing speed on and where they can actually catch some lap time. Um, but it's, yeah, a lovely piece by, by Richard, isn't it? Jack? It is. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, you ask, you ask 100, um, you know, F1 fans, you know, what, what rules should change or what they would do to make the sport, you know, more interesting. Uh, and you get 100 different answers. And, you know, everyone's got their, you know, theory. Um, uh, Richard Williams essentially has, as you say, gone, gone back to basics and said, right, well, you know, essentially you know, what we need is more driver involvement. We want to see the genius of the drivers. We want to be able to uh, have a sport that kind of allows a driver to express himself so that the best driver ultimately gets the uh, advantage and, and, and wins a race. Uh, and he argues that the way to do this, or one of the ways to do this, is to strip out or to ban uh, uh, radio communication. And it's obviously it's been tried before in F1, uh, and then it was... It was quickly dumped. I mean, I feel, you know, on slightly kind of trumped up charges by the teams that it was, um, you know, uh, a safety risk because they wouldn't be able to tell drivers if they, you know, losing pressure or or something. But actually, uh, I think if it had been given a proper go, and as Richard argues in this piece, uh, you know, you can make it work and and it would allow for that human element of the sport to come out um, uh, much more clearly. So it's moving on to Matt's column, uh, it's just a couple of pages later, he's talking about the arrival of Maverick Vinales. Uh, Damon, he's, he's an exciting little kid, this one, isn't he? He's uh, Rossi's new teammate. Rossi's going to have fun again, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> every, every couple of years, a, a new pretender comes to take his throne, don't they? Um, after, after having a period of time with... Uh, Lorenzo, I think he's just looking forward to a bit of a break, isn't he? <laughs> it's just, it's like, uh, but I don't think he's going to have a quiet life with Maverick. Uh, brilliantly titled, okay. hasten to add. Um, but he's, uh, yeah, he's good. He's topped the test so far this in the last couple of weeks. He's looking like the real deal. And I think what he scores um, highly on is his uh, attitude. He's a very calm, he's very relaxed. He's not a, um, he's not like uh, Marquez, where he's very emotional and kind of showy-offy. He's just uh, quiet, studious. He's going to get on with the job, and there's an argument to say he's going to give Rossi a lot more trouble again. <laughs> so uh, be, expect fireworks. Yeah. I think probably about mid-season when when he's when he's sort of uh, bang, banging into wheels with uh, banging fairings with uh, Rossi. Then I think the, the the tide will change again. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we uh, Matt Oxley, Freddie Spencer, and I did a a season preview podcast, which is going to be online. Uh, later this week, but Freddie Spencer was very interesting what he was saying about Vinales and Mark Marquez. Um, he was saying that when Mark Marquez came into MotoGP, he made the likes of Lorenzo and Rossi raise their game, mm. and they had to find this new level. 
And he said, Mark Marquez has never had to find a new level. He just came in on the level that he was on. But he said, the one person I think will make him find a new level is Maverick. And yeah, he said, that's, that's bad news cool. for the likes of Rossi and Lorenzo. Yeah, because I'm not sure who Rossi's got many, many, many <laughs> right. more levels to go. So we, we, we were saying that about 10 years ago, <laughs> yeah. so you never know. But yeah. um, it was it's very interesting. So but a small sneak peek there for um, the podcast coming out later this week. So into, this, into the features and uh, onto page 65 with a, a feature on cheating. Um, winning is all that matters, it's, it's titled. Um, Joe, where did this... Where did this come from? Why? Why now? Why? Um, it's obviously you know very worthy feature. I think very interesting because cheating has been around as long as motorsport has been around. Yeah, yeah. But um, why? Why now? Um, well, two reasons really. I mean, I, I, well, I think the initial idea was sparked uh, after Mark Hughes' interview with Pat Simmons from uh, last month's uh, issue, where um, uh, Pat talked uh, a lot about the um, uh, um, uh, about Crashgate and. Um, uh, and Nelson Piquet Jr. and what his role in was that uh, was in it and how it had um, uh, tarnished um, his career uh, and Pat Simmons' career. Uh, but he went into quite a lot of detail about it that we hadn't read before. And so we thought this was a really interesting kind of uh, uh, topic and a really interesting area and, and how we can we make, you know, a little bit more of it. And we didn't want to put all the focus on this one incident because obviously, you know, millions of words have been written about it. Um, uh, but we decided to kind of expand it and make it into a more general sort of piece on, on scandals have affected all, all, all types of motorsport. And uh, the more we thought about it, the, the more it kind of crystallised into an idea. And then, and then we also had the idea of having, well, obviously we're having a, a, a Formula One preview looking forward to uh, a bright future for racing. Uh, and so we wanted to have this idea of, uh, the, sort of light, the, the darkest days of Formula One uh, looking forward to uh, in, you know, a bright future. And, and so throw it all into the, into the kind of the, the, the magazine mix together. So that's how it all started. Uh, and um, obviously, um, Pat spoke uh, to us and to Mark uh, um, about that particular uh, scandal. Uh, and then we've had, uh, and then we looked into all, all the other scandals as well. And there's scandals from karting to, uh, to um, the WRC, um, to saloon car racing, to NASCAR. So we, 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 we went to town on all of them. And um, uh, there, I mean, there, obviously, there are some serious sort of uh, cheats going on. But also, some of them are a little bit more, a little bit more lighthearted and a little bit more kind of um, uh, unexpected. Should we say? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but I do love the. I, I like the fact that there's cheating in motorsport. There's still that kind of desperation to win at all costs, um, and I just I love some of the you know some of the certain some of the stories we've got in here and the, the content. Such wonderful stories of kind of engineering genius, and you know even Toyota's competitors in the WRC when they got thrown out said, you know I've got to tip my hat to them because really great effort, <laughs> you know? and that, that's what I love about motorsport. Yeah. It's it's just. Um, it's, been, all it's, it's been a part of it since day one. Since the first racing was invented, there's been cheating. It's been a, it's however much we dislike it or like it, depending on how you look at it. Um, it's it's an integral part. It, it's it's been in the same way that it is with any competitive environment. There's always going to be somebody trying to push the boundaries, trying to trying to go that one step further. And um, you can't bury your head in the sand. It happens. It, it all, and it will continue to happen um, long long after we're gone. Well, apparently the uh, the the air restrictor that, that Toyota had fiddled with or re-engineered um, apparently still has pride of place at the FIA headquarters. <laughs> and Max Mosley described it as one of the uh, a genius piece of engineering. So, I mean, <laughs> there are. Um, <laughs> It comes the point about the piece, I suppose, is that sometimes you know engineers love to push, you know, love to interpret the rules to uh, to get the most advantage, to wring the most advantage out of them. Uh, but every now and again, they will cross that line, uh, and, and and that's really what the piece is exploring. 
So we then roll into the Formula One season preview, all 20 pages of it, and not only has Mark taken a sort of forensic look at all the cars, the teams, and the drivers, but the one thing I really like in this one is that it's got uh, some travel information on it. Um, having been to the test in Barcelona, Jack Phillips, the online content assistant, and I decided to see how cheaply we could go and watch Formula One cars in action. So we set off to Barcelona just for the day. Um, and, you know, there's... So many people say, well, Formula One is just totally, um, it's, it's out of reach, I can't afford it. Um, but we've done this double-page spread on a guide to all the costs, and it's all broken down to everything to how much a beer costs in that country. Um, and I must say thanks to Michael, our, our intern for this, who's put a lot of the facts and figures together. Um, but it's, it's fascinating. It is an extremely expensive sport to go and watch. Then again, when you look at the cost of a few Grand Prix and a season ticket for Arsenal, um, it's, it doesn't seem <laughs> quite. Why Arsenal? It's got to be <laughs> <laughs> doesn't look quite so ridiculous. I wonder why. <laughs> I should just just say that I, I have no idea about football. Um, but Damon, I was actually going to um, come to you, and at the back of this, we got something that's a bit different um, that I wanted to focus on was um, when Matt met Mark. Um, this is when Matt Oxley met Mark Hughes, <laughs> and they basically it's a very interesting piece. It's just a. A sort of a conversation that we've transcribed about with Matt and Mark talking about their respective sports, MotoGP and Formula One, um, and how they differ and who the kind of the young chargers are, the sort of the Verstappens, the Vinales and Marquez, um, and how the sport is governed and run. Um, and it's it's a bit different, isn't it, Damon? It's not your usual season preview stuff. No, I mean, Mark and Matt come from uh, very different worlds. I mean, Matt's uh, been involved with the MotoGP and uh, and before that, when it was before it was even called MotoGP, um, he's been involved with that that's, that side of things for many many years. Uh, for those of you who don't know uh, Matt that well, he actually rode competitive bikes. He was he won races. He's he's won the TT. He's there's nothing he doesn't know about uh, about motorbikes. And Mark's the same. Mark's Mark's uh, albeit not driven a form driven a form one car in anger, but he um, there's nothing he doesn't know. So the two of them going at it was uh, was was fascinating to hear. It was uh, it was like kind of them sparring against each other. It was, it was fascinating to listen to, but. Um, the the rather interesting story about this is that he um, that Matt went up to go and uh, interview John McGuinness, which is actually um, over the page. Yeah, 104. There we go, 104. Um, and he met up with uh, Mark beforehand. Oh, he's going to meet up with Mark afterwards. When Mark and Matt uh, sat down together, um, what what was supposed to happen was that uh, they were going to get together after Matt had gone up to interview John McGuinness for our lunch with feature. Um, and what happened was that because John was so late and uh, didn't turn up till much much later, um, I think he'd been out on his uh, on his on his quad bike, hadn't he? He'd been, he'd out. Be, he'd been out on his on his dirt bike, That's and it. he had no reception. Um, <laughs> so despite having a mobile on him, it was totally useless. Typical bike um, races. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're totally forgotten doing lunch with Matt Oxley. Yes, yeah, so I think I think sorry, we're jumping ahead here, but yeah, the um, the, the the great thing about the two of them getting together was that they come from very different worlds but actually they kind of share a common goal which is they kind of love their sport they love the their element of that sport and um matt matt sort of uh pitched the questions to mark and mark pitched the questions to to matt so it, yeah it's a good to and fro it's a different way to do it but yeah it's something that something that um is really interesting way to do it yeah. I, and you can almost hear the sort of envy in, in well, in, in Mark's kind of voice towards the end of the piece, where they start talking about the money involved in their respective sports, and obviously, uh, bike racing a completely different kind of planet, really, to to, to Formula One uh, in terms in terms of the spend. And, and Mark's sort of saying to Matt, you know, but 
you know, you can still get into the paddock and, and meet all the drivers. And, and Matt saying, yeah, of course I can, you know, yeah, you know, that's what we do. And, and Mark saying, well, you know, that's not how it happens in, in you know, in Formula One. You know, you have to, uh, uh, you know, ev everyone's sort of roped off and it's very much, it's much more difficult, you know, to, to get access and to feel part of a, a group of fans, uh, which which obviously is very much the feeling you still get at, uh, at MotoGP for events. Um, and so that, that kind of comes across towards the end. And I sort of sense a little bit of envy, really, that, that Mark's sort of thinking, well, that's, that's maybe what my sport has lost a little bit of yeah well it's, it's, it's talking to matt about it you you're talking about sort of the lack of sponsorship for some of the teams and how difficult it is for the uh, most gp teams to actually find sponsorship and not much money being in the sport compared to something like formula one and he said it, you know let's hope it carries on that way because mm. when money comes that's when the restrictions arrive that's when you can't get into paddock that's when you know, local celebrity is more important than one of the riders. And mm. he said, that's what MotoGP isn't, and he never wants it to be. Mm. Um, I'm sure they might have said that. Well, Ken Tyrrell did say that about Formula One um, years and years ago. So uh, it's a bit late for Formula One. But um, now, Damon, I'm going to put you on the spot here. No. And we're going to turn to page 88 and 89. I will give you a chance to flick to uh, those pages. Yes. Right. So now, just to let all, all you listeners know, we do occasionally get uh, emails in the office um, complaining about our art editor putting white text on a black background because it's extremely difficult to read. What Damon has done on page 88 and 89 is put white text on blue background, so slightly different. Yeah, well, it's not black. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, I know it's from a design, I guess, design perspective here. This is the video I had design yeah, on. This is why I, you do it. I, I, I guess I'm, for punishment. This, this is the bit where I'm going to have to defend my creativity, aren't I? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, all I all I would say in my defence is it first of all it looks great. Uh, obviously I will say that. But um, what what I try and do is um, if you may notice if we're going to get really nuts and bolts about this, what you can do is you can actually see the difference between the type on the left and the type on the right. So the type that's in the right is actually quite a lot heavier, quite a lot thicker. Well, the uh, white text. The white text, right? Um, than the type that's actually the the black type on the on the sort of the goldy colour. So, so that, in a way, is an admission of guilt. I would say I'm <laughs> The fact you've had to bold to... up the text. Would... <laughs> this is an argument I'm never going to win, isn't it? All I can say is that if, uh, if it, you, I can read it well, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got decent You're eyesight. Ancient. Oh, ish, yeah. ish. And uh, I, I try, what I want to do is I wave it under Gordon's nose. Gordon's a good barometer of this stuff. If he can read it, then... Most people can read it. So uh, Gordon, in his absence, is being uh, yeah. is being is being, being blamed. Being blamed yeah. for this, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry for putting you on the on the spot there. Um, so we're going to sort of roll on through because uh, we're running out of time. But uh, obviously, we talked about lunch with John McGuinness. This is actually a really lovely lunch with um, that Matt has written. Um, it's actually quite different because it, it, while it takes you through John's career and how he got to where he's got to. Um, it goes a bit beyond that, and you know he talks about his relationship with other drivers, uh, with drivers such as Lewis Hamilton, uh, Mark Webber, other riders, uh, the likes of Valentino Rossi, and it's it's a bit different in that respect because I think his story is actually so well known um, and has been told so many times that it's it's a really lovely piece. But we, we've we've talked about that, and I'm going to move on to um, pages one one two to one one eight, and this is. Um, a perfect display of a journalist having a lovely time. <laughs> uh, this is when S Simon Aaron, our features editor, went over to the USA and visited Daytona for the 24 hours. But being, being Simon Aaron, he didn't just go and watch the race. He decided to do a road trip 
and look at lots of the local dirt tracks um, and some of the local races um, and, and some of the sort of the history around and about, of which there is loads. Um, obviously, the beach is just the start of it. But Damon, you've been to Daytona. It's, it is an impressive place, isn't it? It's, it's enormous. Um, I think I, I was driving past it and, it and I looked out the window and then about five minutes later, I looked out the window again and I was still driving past it. It was, um, <laughs> it, it, the, the scale of it is, is mind-boggling. Um, it, I mean, it, it calls itself, rather, uh, in, a, in true American style, the world centre of racing, which is, uh, <laughs> um, which is fair enough. I think it's, it's scale-wise, it's probably... That's Lydon Hill, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> ma- it's absolutely massive. Um, but uh, the, 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 the place is amazing. It's, um, you can't really describe the scale of it until you, until you see it for yourself. But the, the atmosphere, the, um, the, the noise, um, because you're in this bowl... It just echoes everything or everything that sort of um, is great about motor racing. The noise, the spectacle, the smell, the, the sights. It all happens at 200 miles an hour around Daytona. So it is a fantastic place. However, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't go and see the things that Simon saw. which uh... No, it's, it's an amazing <laughs> mix of stuff. So I d- the magazine is almost worth buying just for this alone in terms of the amount of things he managed to go and visit. Um, Simon is known for leaving the office on a Friday evening, um, maybe having a glass or two of white wine, and then driving all over the country, seeing about four different uh, race meetings in the UK, or even further afield. So he's basically flown, flown over to America and done exactly the same thing. <laughs> now, uh, it's, it's sort of second last one up is, is a piece called Playing Catch-Up on 122. Um, and this is Mark Hales, who's tested sort of two American specials, which are kind of a, a, amazing machines. Uh, Joe, just tell us a bit about about this piece and well, Mark Hales. Yeah, I mean, cars. Uh, well, before we get to that, I think we ought to just um, just skip back a little bit and um, just talk about Dickie Meaden's um, picture, yes, of course, if we yeah. can. Um, oh, yes. uh, and this is um, uh, Richard Meaden who uh, has joined us uh, and has written his first column, actually, uh, uh, to introducing himself to to, to the readers. And um, uh, and this is his feature, which is a brilliant test drive uh, or track test, really, um, uh, uh, of. Uh, the, the old Lotus 26R, uh, which he uh, has raced um, successfully. Um, and he, when he was originally pitching this, um, he said, you know, we call it the mongoose. And we said, you know, why do you call it the mongoose? As well, because it had such an appetite for cobras uh, in his day. <laughs> so, uh, of course, that was the headline immediately. Uh, and he's done a fantastic piece. And um, uh, uh, really hope, I mean, hopefully readers, readers will sort of, you know, be able to relate to it as well. And, uh, and, and it, nobody really can write about sort of driving cars and racing cars in the way that Dickie can. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a very handy driver in his own right. Uh, but he writes just so beautifully about it. So uh, we've got some lovely pictures and, uh, and, and a really good read, uh, which is sort of Dickie's debut uh, for motorsport. Yeah, and it's got it's 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 a car that's got lots of history as well, and that that story is is told as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So t- um, thank you for reminding me of that, Joe. But just, I'm going to draw you back to <laughs> <laughs> the Mark Hales track test um, uh, of, of the American specials, and it's it's one of those sort of opening spreads when you you open it up and you see these two cars and you do immediately think what are those because um, they are a bit different aren't they they are they look like um uh, nothing else you've seen i mean originally we were sort of thinking a lot we were trying to think of a fun headline around the sort of over here overpowered and oversexed or oversexed and over here and overpowered or over the top um, <laughs> but something along those lines we didn't we didn't manage to make it work in the end but the, that is essentially what these things are i mean they are uh, incredible to look at um uh, and uh, uh, and they are from that era of um, 
uh, of sort of, um, of of hot rodding, uh, where, where the Americans sort of um, started putting these enormous engines in uh, 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 in, on, in in their chassis, and, and and but there wasn't as much of a scene as there was as was over here. And um, I think that uh, this piece, uh, Mark's done a, a great job of kind of uh, documenting these cars as they came over for a flying visit uh, and and driving them at Silverstone. Yeah. They're, they're certainly unique. Yeah, they sound amazing. They don't they don't look the best, but they uh, by, by their own admission, I think it was they were. I think somebody somebody commented that they looked like they were built not in a shed but out of a shed. So um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so. Um, but they yeah. So there's there's that piece, and then uh, right the right the back sort of last the features. Um, our our editor Nick Trot uh, went off and interviewed Tommy Mackinnon. Which is a lovely little piece and a one-on-one interview with with the uh, the great great rally driver. Yeah, he um he 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 kind of managed to catch up with Tommy when he went to the Monty um a few weeks back um which I think you mentioned last time. But uh, he uh, managed to get managed managed to get some time with Tommy, who's actually a lovely sort of gently softly spoken uh, gentle gentle guy, which you wouldn't have thought if you'd have ever seen him uh, in period. He four-time world rally champion. Um, and the way that he threw that that and for for those of you with memories uh, can can remember him throwing throwing that um, Evo around was uh, yeah quite a sight to behold. So I think he's tempt I think he was tempted to sort of get behind the wheel, but I think he's realised that he's going to leave it to the young kids now and sort of sort of uh, retire gracefully. But I think he was I think he was involved in the testing of it. Um, but and uh, I think by all counts, by the people that mentioned it, said that he he was still yeah still pretty quick. Yeah, still, <laughs> yeah never never quite lose it, do you? No. Well, What's he and, and and he kind of what comes across as well is how he's sort of brought the skills and the determination and focus that he had as a driver into into sort of making into a team owner and and how he's sort of managed to um, uh, inspire those around him um, in this new role because it's obviously very difficult for a driver to go from being you know a, a great driver to you know what happens next and 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 Tommy's obviously managed to do it uh, albeit within within motorsport but it's uh, it's a fascinating read. Yeah, I mean a lot of drivers did not manage it. So well, I have to say. So well, well done to Tommy. Yeah. Uh, well, look, Joe, thank you so much for, for joining me. Damon, thank you so much for all your words and insight. Um, don't forget, everyone, that you can buy this issue that we've been talking about right now on the Motorsport website. Um, you can go to the Motorsport website and click on the Shop tab at the top, or you can go to the short link that I mentioned earlier, which is bit.ly. So that's bit.ly forward slash motor April 2017. Um, there's plenty more over and above what we've talked about, including the best car David Brabham has ever owned, a 1979 VW Beetle. Who Good would choice. Have, who would have thought it? Amazing what you'll find within the pages of Motorsport, eh? So thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for continuing to buy the magazine. And we'll see you all soon for another Motorsport commentary. Bye-bye for now.